Well, it's always a joy to be here, to be with you. There's always uh, lots of new faces, and then there are those wonderful faces that uh, I've known for 35 years. I came here 35 years ago. Uh, When I came here uh, in May uh, of 88, I was still a Reformed Baptist in name, though I had come to Presbyterian convictions. And uh, the summer of 88, uh, I joined this congregation. Uh, The lady who is here with me, who became my wife, was already a member of this congregation, as this was her family church, Kathy Bacon. Strange now. Um, We're all strange now. Um, But it's just always a delight uh, to be here. I was a member of this church for not a great long time. They removed me from the rolls. But that's because the Presbytery made me a ministerial member of the Presbytery of New Jersey. So don't worry, it was all good. Um, But it's always a joy to be back, and I'm really happy to be back with my dear wife, who I know many of you have been praying for. She has responded well to treatment for stage 4 bladder cancer. Um, And uh, we're really thankful the doctors are happy, and we're happy and grateful to the Lord for what he has done. I'd like us to read from God's word, beginning here in Romans 8, a very familiar passage. Uh, Preachers always say that, but Romans 8, I trust, is especially familiar, especially precious to the saints of God. We're going to begin in that, that especially precious verse 28, Romans 8, 28, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. But the particular focus, the text is Romans 8, 37, more than conquerors. Romans 8, 28, this is God's holy and infallible word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far, God's holy word. May he write it on all of our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word. Give us 
eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. A passage like this, one might think, my preaching can only wreck it. It's so beautiful. I just want to read it and sit down. But as all my children would say, but you're not going to do that, are you, Dad? No, I'm going to talk about it with you. This is a wonderful word. So I say, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever sins we struggle with as Christians, whatever sufferings we endure as God's children, we all have the same problem. Fear and unbelief. We struggle to grasp that Christ really has paid the penalty of our sin entirely and that we need only trust Him alone. We see that particularly in verses 31 to 34 that we just read. We also have a hard time trusting that our Savior is so much our Redeemer and believer that He's broken the power of reigning sin so that nothing in all of creation can defeat us. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin. He's broken the power of sin. We need to believe. We need to believe that whatever afflicts us, suffering, sin, injustices of all kinds does not defeat us. Listen to me. Does not defeat us. But that God is so great and so good that He uses all things, all difficulties to bring about the greatest good in our lives. Think about how that's particularly so in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The worst thing ever done, the darkest hour that ever occurred in this world was when we wicked men took with our hands and put to death the Lord of glory. Nothing is worse than that. And the disciples were out of their minds with fear. They were totally hard put. They didn't know what to do. And yet, we see in the death of Christ... Not the greatest defeat ever. That's what it looked like. It looked like. But we see in the death of Christ, the death of death. So that in His death, God's wrath that burns hot against all of us for our sin is satisfied. And we are saved. This is our salvation. So you may have friends, neighbors, maybe you've struggled with it. You've seen the problem of pain of evil, of suffering, and you've said, how can there be a great God and a good God if there's all this evil in the world? But the answer is in the cross. Because the worst thing ever done is the very seed of the best thing that's ever happened. Our salvation, now and evermore. And after that, it's all gravy. If God can make the very best out of that... There's nothing in your life that can defeat Him or you. This is why, as Paul said, you're more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors. Three things. Three things. Three questions. When? Always. In all things. That's what verse 37 says. Secondly, how? Through Him. You are more than conquerors through Him. And the last point... And I, yes, I learned to do three points here. I know how it's done. Because He loved us. 
We're more than conquerors, first point in all things. Secondly, through him. Thirdly, who loved us. Well, we say we're more than conquerors in all these things. Verse 37 starts with, what what does that mean? All these things. Well, back in verse 28, Paul had asserted that all things, an utterly comprehensive claim. All things work together for good. That God in all things works together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Please notice this. Nothing is accepted from this all-comprehensive claim. Even the most horrible of things. And some of you have experienced these things. You could tell me what you've experienced. Like the serious illness or the death of a child the horrible breakup of a marriage, all the sin that I struggle with and too often succumb to. This is Romans 8, which follows Romans 7. And Romans 7 features Paul saying, what I would do, those good things I would, I don't. And what I wouldn't do, I find myself doing. Those things, all things. All things. One is tempted and perhaps at times does say, when something comes along in your life, something really hard and difficult, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's something else, and you may be tempted to say, no Lord, not this, this is too much, but it's not, it's not. He may send many hard things our way, but in it all, He purposes to bring about a beautiful thing. Put it this way, out of all the smelly ingredients of our lives, it it makes me think of, of my gumbo. And when I make my seafood gumbo, and you're cutting up the, the peppers and the onions, the garlic, all this stuff that goes in. I remember my kids were little, they were like, we're supposed to eat this? Wow! This smells really strong. Or somebody tastes the filet. You know, you've ever heard of filet gumbo, right? Well, filet's ground sassafras leaves. And it's like, that's bitter. Yeah, you, you don't eat spices. But they're used in cooking. And they meld. And you put all the seafood in. And all this stuff cooks. And it cooks. And as it does, it turns into something very delicious. If you like that. Or you could think about... Maybe you've seen this somewhere, like in the Art Institute in Chicago. Uh, Georges Seurat, the famous French painter, has there's a painting there that's Sunday afternoon on the Isle of, of Grand Jatte. And it's, it, it's in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, if you've ever seen that. And they're kind of looking at this painting like that. And it's a painting where it's made by dots. It's dots. And you go up to the painting and you're like, wow. But you step back and it's a gorgeous painting. That's the way it is with our lives. There's kind of like lots of dots. Lots of things going on. And it's sometimes it's so up in our face. Life is up in our face. It's sort of like me right now when I do this. I can't see a lot of the back wall. My hands are covering it. If I were to ask Rich Sezov, go put your hand on the back wall. Well, it wouldn't cover a lot of the back wall. I would have perspective. But see, that's what we often lack in the middle of all the things that are happening to us in our lives. We can't see it. We don't really get what's going on. We're trying to eat the gumbo before it's ready. 
We're trying to look at the, think of Edith Shaper, talks about the tapestry. We're trying to look at this before the tapestry is done. If you go up to a tapestry, you look at the back of a tapestry, it's like, this is nothing. You look at the front, oh my, this is gorgeous. Wow, that's life, folks. Verse 31 through 39 develop this even further. Verse 35 puts the question, shall anyone or anything separate us from the love of Christ? So verse 37 is really answering the question of 35. 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then a list is given. None of this shall. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution. He goes through it and comes to verse 37 and it says, no, none of those things. That's what it means. In all these things, all what things? These things. And if you look at Paul, Paul experienced all of these things. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians tells you what Paul really went through. He went through all these things. And you say, well, he didn't die. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I die daily. I die daily, meaning I die to sin. I die to my flesh. I die to the old man. I live to righteousness. I live to Jesus. I want to walk with him. I want Him in His way, not the old ways of the flesh. And read verse 44 here, or rather verse 36, which is from Psalm 44. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you know this in the seemingly endless challenges and disappointments of your own life? Sheep to be slaughtered. You see, the way to handle this is not by making light of things you go through. By saying, ah, that's not a problem. That's minimizing problems doesn't really help. Men tend to think they do. Women know that that doesn't help better than men. But we can, that's a a conference I'll give. That's a different matter. Uh, but minimizing problems doesn't really help. It's better to say, yes, this is a problem. Lord, I need your help. Sheep to be slaughtered? Maybe you're going into a really tough meeting this week. Well, don't say, you know, no thing, I got it, no problem. Go into the meeting. Sheep to be slaughtered. Sheep to be slaughtered. Lord, be with me. Help me. I need you. I need you every hour we sing. I hope you mean it when you sing it. Verse 37 gives that strong answer, no. In the very face of all these things, we're more than conquerors. It continues in this beautiful vein throughout the whole rest of the chapter. This chapter has become one of the great comforts of the saints throughout the ages. Many people who have been held imprisoned. Now, you know, in our own system, you get a Bible and all that. People think, oh, well, everywhere you are, you get Bible. No, no, no. People are people, you know, in Korea, North Korea, people in China, when they're in prison for the gospel, their jailers don't go, oh, you get this and you get a Bible and you have these constitutional rights. No. But people have this written on their hearts. Many people know this. They've memorized it. And when they're in these terrible situations, God ministers to them through this. Because they know that nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. We're more than conquerors in all these things. Whether we see it or not. Whether we feel it or not. As John Murray says, it's really an act of faith. It's an act of faith to say this. Because there are times when we feel like we're just going to perish. Are there times when you ever feel like the devil's like, I've got you. You're dead. Or maybe your next door neighbor says, you know, I'm going to get you. Notice the word itself. 
that's translated more than conquerors. I don't usually give Greek words, but this is huper nukomen. It's a great word. Huper, hyper above, more than conquerors. One commentator says, hate can make a man a conqueror, can fill him with furious energy, but only love can make him more than conqueror. You think of the 20th century. Think of Nietzsche and Marx and all of their heirs. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot. We could continue the list. Conquerors, but not more than conquerors. They're full of hate. Only the Christian is full of love. Note this observation. The true Christian way of living, the true Christian joy in living, comes to us not in spite of tribulation, disappointment, or even sin, but because of them. We have something left over when life and death have done their worst. And that's why Murray Moo, all the commentators say, we love this translation more than conquerors. Some even come close to saying they think it's inspired. It's not, of course, but it's wonderful. Hodge says this, they, all these things are not only deprived of all power to do us harm, they minister to our good, they swell the glory of our victory. They swell the glory of our victory. Think of this. Think of this, my dear friends. In the face of things just as, as, as regular and daily as your bills, sickness, death, and the sin that clings so closely and that you battle so fiercely, you're more than conqueror in all things. Well, that was the first point. We spent a lot of time on it to sort of establish the basis. All things were more than conquerors. How? Through Him. Through Jesus. This reference here in verse 37, we're more than conquerors through Him. The reference is clearly to our Redeemer. It's the answer to the question in verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? None of these things can. It's the Christ who is God and who can thus bear the awful load of our sin and God's wrath against it. And man who can keep the law that Adam and we failed to keep. The one mediator between God and man. We are more than conquerors only because of Him. Be, be clear here. We're not more than conquerors because we have a can-do spirit in the face of adversity. We're not more than conquerors like it's some Broadway musical. You know, things have gotten all in a mess and you just start singing, you know, everything's coming up, roses and daffodils. No reason for it. You don't know what, I mean, it's a good song, but... No reason for this, but that's what people do. If you don't have Jesus, you just have to make it up. you got to make it up because you have no hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope. There's no hope but Him. So it's not just whistling in the dark or smiling in the face of adversity. No, we're more than conquerors. Not just because we give it the old college try. We're not such because we believe in ourselves. You know, back to Broadway. I mean, that's, that's one of the ways, you know, singing to yourself in the mirror, I believe in you. Bad stuff. Because in your flesh there is no good thing. You shouldn't be singing, I believe in you. 
You should be singing, I believe in you. There's hope. There's help. Now, the reason that we're more than conquerors is Christ and Christ alone. In whom we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. You see, the reason that we're more than conquerors is because Jesus, again, we talked about Him going to the cross and it looked like that was the end of everything. That looked like defeat. But out of that apparent defeat, up from the grave He arose. The mighty triumph for His foes. He arose as the victor. This is Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection. He arose as the victor from the dark domain and He lives forever with His saints to reign. The reason that we are more than conquerors is not because we are in ourselves. No. No, no, no. In ourselves, we're losers. Such losers. We're more than losers. We are. But because of Him, and in faith union with Him, if you trust Him and Him alone, you are in faith union with Him. We heard that in the word of assurance. We become partakers of the divine nature. That's what the pastor said. We're in Christ. And because He has conquered, we conquer in Him. And in Him we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. Many misuse this verse. I'm sure you've heard it. Athletes. Performers. I know Christians who have started businesses who use this. No. This isn't for that. You're for Him. He's not for you. Do you understand what I mean? You don't put Him to your uses. You're put to His. So that we're more than conquerors. Is not a corporate slogan. It's not a capitalist mantra. It's only in and through Him that we're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Through Him. Notice here that the preposition through Him is one of instrumentality. He becomes ours. How does He become ours? He gives Himself to us through the means appointed. The word sacraments in prayer. As the preacher stands here and preaches the Word of God. Our Catechism says it's especially in the preaching. It's in the preaching that you hear him calling you to himself. He says, come unto me every sermon. He's saying it right now. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come rest in me. Come rest in me. He says it through the pulpit and through all the teaching ministry of the church. He says it at the table. He says it in prayer. Yes, he says it in your family devotions. He says it in your private devotions. He comes to you through these means by His Spirit. And He draws you up and into His life. Draw near to Him and He'll draw near to you and you will triumph through Him. One of the problems is we're often tempted when we're having lots of difficulties to say, you know, I I can't pray. I, I I can't go to church. And that's what we need the most. Luther said, I've got so much to do today, I don't see how I can get by with less than three hours of prayer. Huh? We go the other way. What does that mean? It means I've got so much to do and I have to be... He means in being in the attitude of prayer and being in the activity of prayer. Prayer... Hugh Martin once talked about going weeks without prayer. Maybe you've experienced this. He talked about going weeks without prayer and he just seemed to be spinning, and I'm putting it in modern terms, spinning his wheels. He wasn't getting anywhere. 
And he said, I must withdraw. I must come before the Lord. He shut his doors. He sent everyone away. And he said he had an hour or two in prayer, in devotions, reading, singing, praising God. And he said, I got more done the rest of that day than I had gotten done in the two weeks before. Because I was in communion, vital communion once again with the living and true God. You know how it is when you just kind of... It's easy to drift. It's easy to drift. In drawing near to Him through the appointed means, we triumph. Though we may fall many times, we may struggle as in Romans 7. We triumph in Him because He's triumphed. Get back up. You fall down, get back up. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, You may fall many times on the deck of the ship of life, but you'll never fall overboard. Been slipped sliding on the deck? Draw near to Him. He'll draw near to you. Well, I don't know, Pastor. Draw near to Him. But you don't know what I... Draw near to Him. But I'm really... Draw near to Him. Your grace is not... Your sin is not greater than His grace. The devil tells you that. The flesh tells you that. The world tells you that. It's a lie. I'm telling you the truth. This is what you need to believe. Last point. Why all of this? We're more than conquerors in all things through Him. Why? Real simple. Because He loved us. Boys and girls, because He loves us. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The world doesn't tell me. The devil doesn't tell me. I might be so struggling with things that my own heart doesn't tell me. But God tells me in His Word, He loves me. And that's why I believe it. I remember many years ago, as a young Christian, I was a teenager, and I had just come to Christ weeks before, and I was just elated. But I remember reading the Bible, and I was hit with this sense of, this is true, whether I believe it or anybody. If nobody ever believes this, it's true. My believing it doesn't make it true. It's good for me that I believe it, that I see the truth. Thank God for Him showing me the truth. But even if nobody in the world believed it, it's the truth. That's a wonderful thing to see. That's a wonderful thing to know. That this is true. Whatever the culture is saying, and I can tell you the culture isn't saying this is true. But it's a lie! Culture is full of lies. Always has been. The city of God is all about lies. The city of this world is all about lies. Always has been. What do we find in this word? We find in this word that Christ, look at verse 37 again there. In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. The tense of that participle there, he loved us, is the aorist tense. And it's what that means is a particular action in the past, a completed action in the past that has kind of an ongoing effect. It's not that Christ doesn't actively, presently love us. He does. We see that beautifully when we look at the wonderful present in verse 34. It says, who makes intercession for us? That's in the present. But that intercession is based on his definitive, completed work for us. Verse 34 again, he died. He was raised from the dead. Those are those aorist tenses. He loved us. 
You see, friends, He loved you because He died on the cross for you and He's never going to stop loving you. He's not like us. He's not going to say, well, I've had it with you. Oh, we've said that with people. Maybe people have said that to us. But it doesn't happen with Christ. You keep looking to Him. You keep looking to Him. Remember, this is, this is not, this is the, the reform flower is the tulip, right? The Armenian flower is the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. That's not the way it is with God. The reason you think that is because you think, I, I really blew it. And I think if I had blown it this way, I wouldn't have anything anymore to do with myself. That may be true. But thanks be to God, His love will never let you go. It doesn't burn hot and cold. Yours does! Mine does! Burns hot and cold! His doesn't. That's why this tense is so important. He loved, He died, He was raised, He loved us. It's a fact, an accomplished fact. And how do we know it? Well, He's praying for us. I appreciate so many of you have said we're praying for you and your wife and we are so thankful for it. But you know what? And I say I'll pray for you. We pray for each other. But sometimes we, with the best of intentions we forget to pray. He never does. He's interceding right now. Jesus Christ is on the throne praying for every one of you. He's praying for you right now as I'm preaching to you. Wow. You say it. Yeah. Yeah, the whole gospel is a wow thing. If you have heard the gospel and you're like yawning and like, well, that, I don't mean you may be tired or say, we don't, I'm not going after people. So I don't be silly. You know. My point is, if you've never heard the gospel and said something like, wow, this is amazing. This is, this is like too good to be true. Yes. Right. It should hit you that way. Why would anybody do this? Do you ever think about this when it comes to the gospel? If what Jesus did for us which He and the Father and the Spirit decided to do to eternally save us. Think of Ephesians 1. If God didn't do that for you and for me, we could never ask Him to do that. I couldn't say, uh, Dear Father, why don't you send your Son to die in, instead of me dying and taking all the punishment, all the hell I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. But make it for Him. But He did that. He did that. And it's a gift that He gives to you, received by faith alone. All you have to do is simply receive what He gives. It's a free gift. We can never ask Him to do it. It's ridiculous. It's audacious to think about asking God to do such a thing, but He did it. And He gives it freely to you. Feeling cold and distant? Gaze upon that middle cross by faith. Abide in its shadow. Look with wonder on the empty tomb. Do you doubt His love? He died for you. He was raised for you. He loves you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's what these verses are about. This is why you're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate you from His love. His love is stronger than death. His love is stronger than death. That's what these verses are saying. And you go right to be in His presence. You know, we hate to see our friends die. And we pray for them and we pray for them. But when the Lord is pleased to take them, we all know they're with Him 
And it's just, a, they're better off than each one of us in this room. They're better off than we are. This began just a moment here, verse 29 and 30, just to mention them. It began back in eternity. God foreknew you means he foreloved you. That's the basis of everything that follows in what the Puritans in these verses 29 and 30 called the golden chain. And it comes to expression in the, in the outworking of redemption in the person and work of Christ, right? And in him he freely gives us all things, justification, sanctification, perseverance, assurance, read it. And the spirit, the unseen partner applies this love in our lives existentially. So the Father appointed our everlasting salvation. The Son accomplished it. And the Spirit applies it. And you're in my hearts so that we're more than conquerors in all these things through Him who loved us. Christ loves us. Can anything ultimately defeat us? How could it? Because it would have to defeat Him and His Father and the Spirit. For us to be defeated, God would have to be defeated. An absurd idea. This isn't mere wishful thinking. It's not sort of some sort of misbegotten triumphalism. Or, please don't say this. I've addressed it already, but I'll just one more time say, don't say something like, well, pastor, you can only say this if you don't know how bad I am. My dear friends, our sin is not greater than His grace. And all the tribulations of life are not stronger than His love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we touch the hem of the garment here. We say virtually nothing, but You have so much for us. It's all here. We thank You. We thank You that in all things, in all things, We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We revel in that love this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.